Today's show is brought to you by Appalachian Trails and Pacific Crest Trails. If you're planning for an Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail through hike, or know someone who is, these books are a must-have resource. While other tools prepare hikers for the logistical part of a through hike, they fail to ready hikers for the most difficult aspect of a half-year backpacking trip, the psychological and emotional struggle. Appalachian Trails and Pacific Crest Trails are both written specifically to ready a hiker's mind for this life-changing journey. I've received countless messages, emails, and personal thanks from former thru-hikers who have cited one of these two books as a key to their success. Whether you're planning for a thru-hike, are on the fence of whether you want to commit to one, or are supporting a loved one on the trail, these books have proven to be an invaluable resource time and time again. Check out the show notes for direct links to both of these books. It's not snakes. It's not snow. It's not river crossings. It's not heat. It's not temperature related. Um, not mountain lions or bears, but it's cows that are going to get you out here. Correspondence presented by The Trek. I am your host, Zach Badger Davis. Grab a seat next to the rocking chair because today's show will feature some wonderful stories from the backcountry. We instructed our hikers to share a standout tale from their journey. It can be a highlight, low light, or somewhere in between. The submissions are a delightful mix. We hear from one of our AT hikers who completed the four state challenge. I'll explain that if you don't know what it is. One of our correspondents who played a part in rescuing a lost hiker and another correspondent who had to use their SOS to save another hiker, Murphy's Law. In today's episode, we hear from Frozen, Catherine, Missy and John, Kenneth, Nancy, Sarah, Zach, Hasmine, Karthika, Julie, Eric and Allison, our brother-sister duo, Angie and Dosu. Here it is. Hey everybody, it's Frozen and we are making our way up to New England. It is day 80-something for us and we're having a great time. And when I say us, we got Marka, aka Pumbaa, and we have Lucky couple members from the Tramley that we've been hiking with. The other people are a little bit behind us. They might catch up with us tonight if they pull out a 40 mile day, but having a great time out here. What I'd like to talk about tonight is a little bit of a story. It kind of brought us all together really close and we call it the the weekend the weekathon yes because <laughs> it was high mileage days and it was going into the Shenandoahs, a beautiful, absolutely gorgeous section yeah, of the park. Phenomenal. So it all started off with me, I think, a few days ahead because they had decided, the rest of the tramway, I should say, decided to take a zero. And what town was that? So it was Buena Vista slash Lexington. Right. And there was, like, crazy winds, severe thunder. It, it was a good day to take a zero. Yeah. And it, and it was an unplanned zero. We did not go in, you know, planning to take the zero, but because of the weather and we were already comfortable in town... We decided to explore it a little bit, so. I stupidly decided to push on, and it ended up not being too bad, but I ended up getting to the Stanimals Hostel 
um, early. Didn't think anything of it, and at about 10 o'clock, everybody else rolled in. I was like, how did you guys catch up to me? So go ahead, Marika, take it away. How did you guys catch up to me? So we we caught up to you by starting what we call the Weekathon. Right. Right. We had planned to do a marathon each day through the Shenandoahs as just sort of a fun little challenge, see if we could do it. But because we had taken the unplanned zero, we started that a couple days early. And so we had pulled a 27 and then a 28 mile day or something like that to get to Stanimals, which was right at the beginning of the Shenandoahs. Right. Um, so you could understand my surprise when you guys showed up at Stanimals with us right, all, because, and we're all back together again. Because that was a lot of our first marathon day on trail. I had done a couple, uh, but for most of the tram, it had been their first marathon ever, um, let alone on the AT. And we basically had all planned to, well, me personally, I had planned to take about five days to the Shenandoahs, but I had about four days of food because I was banking on these restaurants called Waysides, which you can go and get breakfast, lunch, and dinner pretty much the whole way through the Shenandoahs. Well, about an hour before bed, we realized that the Waysides were closed because the entire road going through the Shenandoahs, I can't remember the uh, name, Sky- Skyline, Skyline Drive, Drive. W- ended up being closed due to just, uh, you know, just tons of debris on the road. So everything was closed except for a couple waysides toward the so I think northern end of the park. So I think a combination of that and we were still sort of ahead of that main pack. So I think it might have been a little early in the year for them to Exactly, well. exactly. So we ended up getting into the park and we had to register and it was funny because I remember the registration was yeah. <laughs> about a quarter mile back at the road. Yeah. Point, point three five. Point three five. And Lucky knows that well because he ran back and got all of our registration slips for us. So after he came back <laughs> and it was funny because he's not gonna know any of our names. We've all been calling each other by trail names at this I knew, point. I knew everyone's names. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he came back and that's when we started the, that's when I kind of joined in on their weekathon where we were doing pretty much 26, 27 it, it, At least 26.2 every day was our goal. Right. And our first campsite was supposed to be a campground, Loft, Loft Mountain Campground, Loft Mountain Campground. Yeah. which just so happened to be closed. <laughs> so we got there and actually just couldn't go any farther. We were trying to push a little further to, you know, get to some kind of stealth site, but there was just so many down trees yeah, and it it just debris. It was just, section. it was a very unmaintained section. So uh, we got there and we just honestly just stealthed at the, the campground anyway. That was the only thing that we could do. We couldn't even get right. through it. Uh, the next day we did another you know, 26, 27, whatever it ended up being. And, you know, we really hadn't done that mileage. Uh, at least I hadn't done the mileage. And, you know, we get tired. We start motivating each other was the big thing. And I really think that brings people in a tramley close. When you're kind of doing a challenge, you're kind of pushing, you're all kind of tired, but you you keep each other motivated. It, it is really difficult to be miserable in a group. Yeah, because it's just all smiles <laughs> and laughter, especially in this tramley. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous how much we smile and laugh, even at each other throughout the day. Especially at each other. <laughs> right. Uh, so we're on day three, and we're finally hitting one of the not it's not a real wayside but it's a restaurant it's the yeah, what the, the skyland, uh, skyland resort resort right and it starts pouring like i'm not talking just like a lot of rain i'm talking literally it's pouring it's raining cats and dogs it's, oh, it's insane it, it was, it was yeah. the hardest rain i think i've seen yet yeah it, it was to the point where you couldn't see more than 15 feet in front of you 
And so we go into this fairly nice resort. It, just it was a wet. very nice resort. <laughs> and we're just soaking wet, dripping all over the floor. But they're, you know, they're still very kind at the at the restaurant, and they're you know they're serving us, and we're just getting coffee, and just the food's incredible. We go back in the rain, and I forget where we stayed that night, but you know, it was such an awesome lunch slash dinner yeah. experience. It didn't really, the rain didn't even bother us at that point. And then coming out the next day, we had finally blueberry <laughs> milkshakes, blackberry, blackberry milkshakes, milkshakes, which we had been wanting the entire, the entire time. time. We had heard yes. from everybody that it was the best thing on right. the trail and that we had to get some, but everywhere we went had been closed. Right. So we'd been denied. And finally we had a chance finally, to get it. Finally at the end, amazing. we had our blackberry milkshakes. So uh, I think it really brought us really close together as a tramley and we're still together to this day um, we're actually going to be summoning Katahdin together hopefully July 3rd and can't wait so hopefully you guys enjoyed that little story does anybody else have anything they want to add uh, I'm sure there'll be more hilarity to come yeah exactly that wraps it up for the uh, weekathon that's pretty much it thanks guys I'll see you in the next one everyone it's Catherine Rosidas aka Manhattan and I'm currently at mile 1530 there's a giant thunderstorm about to pass over me and also some local hooligans shooting off fireworks for no apparent reason it is way after the 4th of July not sure what's going on so enjoy the background noise it's much better than me sighing as I walk uphill so our assignment today was to talk about stories that have stood out to us so far on the hike. And I would say the things that have stood out to me have been probably the things that have been the least expected or the things I wasn't prepared for at all. And that holds for my favorite days on the trail in general. My favorite days, some have been towns I was excited to go into, but for example, almost all the other ones have been days where something has taken a bit of a different turn. Um, Typically what happens is my group that I've hiked with off and on for about 1,400 miles, we like to swim a lot, and if there's ever a good uh, chance of a water hole, we will totally derail our day. So one good example of that was, I believe, Laurel Falls, which was uh, about a month ago at this point. Um, we had planned to take the short .3 side trail down to go see the falls, not really sure what to expect. We ended up stopping in a convenience store, getting some beverages, having some hamburgers, packing out our, our um, beverages and sitting on the rock ledges, trying to not get tan, <laughs> um, swimming a lot, cooling down, feeling a lot better. Um, days like that happen more often than not, which is pretty awesome. Um, another similar kind of a day was taking a huge detour at the end of a uh, pretty long day. Um, some of the guys wanted to go to Sunrise Lake, which is not actually on the trail. It's about a mile off trail. So it had rained all day. I don't mind hiking in the rain. I actually like it a lot, especially when it's hot. I don't like packing up and, and setting up in the rain, but hiking in the rain, love it. There's a certain point where you're just so muddy, it becomes fun. <laughs> Maybe because it's something adults aren't supposed to enjoy. So huge fan of hiking in the rain. Definitely try it. 
But anyway, it had been quite a long day. I can't remember exactly how many miles I'd done, but I, I probably 18 to 20 at least. Then I faced the prospect of doing this one mile side trail. So I start going down the side trail. It of course is incredibly rocky and steep and it's pouring rain. Those of you who go outside know that means incredibly slippery. So at this point, I was I, I was so grumpy. Just hiked a long day, ready to go to sleep, starting to get dark, and I, I was thinking to myself, wow, wouldn't it be just terrible to be on a side trail, not even on the AT, slip, fall, hurt my leg, and my through hike. So I was I was in a pretty, pretty not great mental place at the moment. I was just ready to sit down and be done. So I walked for a while, kept walking for a while, kept walking for a while. Hmm, can't find the lake but I could hear music playing on a radio. So I kept walking, kept walking, finally figured, all right, it should have taken us, like we, it shouldn't have taken us this long to go so far. We must have taken a wrong turn. So I checked my phone and sure enough, there had been several other switchbacks on the trail and it turned out we weren't just meant to take one Blue Blaze trail. It actually connected to a different state trail and we were supposed to have gone on that one, which I didn't know. So it turned out I had walked about half a mile down a very steep hill in the wrong direction of where I was trying to go. So I was already in a bad mood. This made me, you know, be in an even worse mood. And to top it all off, um, my hiking partner was ahead of me, also clearly had missed the trail, and I didn't know how far ahead of me had he'd gone. So I tried to text, of course, no service. So I keep walking downhill in the wrong direction, finally find him in an incredibly uh, negative negative moment, you know, said, hey, can we, let's just camp here at the bottom of this hill. Thankfully, he reminded me, no, we should actually go see our friends. We should actually go to where we said we would today. So we ended up um, hiking all the way back up, not just the 0.5 in the wrong direction, but finishing that side trail to get to the lake, which turned out to be the perfect temperature. Um, did a little bit of swimming to make up for it. That was definitely one of the harder days, though, so... Don't be deceived. Sometimes it can be nice to go off trail and go swimming. Other times it may uh, be a growth opportunity for you and your mental state on the trail, shall we say. Otherwise, everything else that has stuck out has been, like I said, unexpected. You know, you can plan as much as you want on this kind of trip, but ultimately the things that stand out are when someone gives you trail magic, when you're you know, super down, run out of snacks, really, really hot on a, on a warm day, and they show up with food and a cold drink. Trail always provides, it seems, in, in times like that. So I would just encourage all the other potential hikers, people listening, nothing will exactly go as you want to out here, but it's either going to turn out to be a, you know, positive experience, or it'll help you grow in a way that you'll realize, yeah, maybe I need to be a little less cranky and let go a little bit more and pay attention to what's going on every day. So there really are no bad days out here. The whole 110 or so, I've had three days where I wanted to sit down and just be done for the day. I've never wanted to get off trail. So definitely many, many, many more positive moments than, than the few downs I've had. So that's all for Manhattan. Um, hoping to be a Katahdin in a little over a month, which is crazy to say. I've also started seeing all the southbound hikers coming past. I saw one yesterday and 10 today. So good luck to all the southbound folks out there on their first, first couple weeks.
hello. This is Hot Buns and... No worries. Ooh, coming, coming at you from the Super 8 in Daleville, Virginia. Bears, bears, and more bears. Oh my, do we have some stories about bears. So, one of the most anticipated events and a worry of mine when we started the AT was seeing a bear or bears and how I would react and how they would behave. Since we have been on the trail, we have seen four black bears now. The first bear we saw was a great encounter. He was in a tree across a valley from us, right outside of Standing Bear, uh, just outside the Smokies. He was probably 200 feet away from us. Seemed like the perfect bear encounter. Yes. We took video and pictures and squealed with delight that we got to see a black bear in a tree. We took our time and after our encounter, we uh, kept on down the trail only to find out that it was a switchback and we were gonna have to walk right by this bear still in the tree. Shit. Yeah, boy did that make us more than a little nervous. So we rounded the bend of the switchback and No Worries gave me detailed instructions on what to do. <laughs> he said to stay close, do not run, and do not make eye contact with the bear. Too late. I had already made eye contact, so now I was petrified that the bear was going to jump out of the tree, which was literally like 10 feet away from us. I could have tickled his toes with the trekking poles. Um, and I was afraid he was going to attack me because we were too close for his comfort. I made <laughs> eye contact, and he could probably smell my food. So we... uh. We quickly walked by the tree, and you could tell the bear was a younger adult that was scared. Um, it was kind of cute because he would slowly poke his head around the tree to see what we were doing, and then he'd slowly move his head back. When we were clear of the tree, we didn't stop. We didn't look back. We just put a large amount of separation between us and the bear. And I'd say, what, when we were at least maybe a mile away or so, um, I'd occasionally look back to make sure he wasn't following us. <laughs> like, I guess I thought he was going to jump out of the tree and just like, you know, like follow us like a cat would. I don't know. Anyways, um, when we got um, a good, what, couple miles away from the area, we stopped and video recorded our excitement and relief of our first bear encounter. But it, it it's, it's neat because I can still see his cute little nose poking around the tree to get a glimpse of us as we hiked by. You could tell he was really a curious little bear. It was nice to get the first one out of the way, and it was a good experience. Yeah. Um, so No Worries is going to tell you the story of the quote-unquote bad bear encounter we experienced. Um, he's telling this story mainly because he is the one who lived it. <laughs> <laughs> the great sleepless night in Grayson Highland State Park. Yes. So we decided to follow the exact rules of the park. They stated uh, there are some bear issues. Please use bear boxes. And please camp at these campsites if you do not have a bear canister. So we purposely passed Derek uh, Thomas, Thomas Knob Shelter. I do that each time. Thomas Knob Shelter. And went to Old Orchard because it was supposed to be where they wanted us to mm -hmm. camp. So we went yep. just past to a campsite. Bear boxes in place. Perfect. Stored my food there. A little after 5, 5.30, I think we got there. Shelter's already full, but we went just north as they instructed us. Mm -hmm. Food is done. Sitting around, relaxing in the tent about 9.30. Yep. And we hear clicking of trekking poles and people yelling. And out here, when you hear clicking of trekking poles, it's kind of a sign of bears. Yes. I hopped out of my tent, kind of analyzed what was happening, and the people camping between us and the shelter were yelling at a bear. I thought, well, okay, at least it's not close to our tent, but not exactly what we want. And then I noticed all the headlamps were getting closer to my tent. <laughs> 
Everything seemed to be coming our way. Next thing I know, I see an extremely large black blob coming towards us. And then his eyes met my headlamp. Not exactly what you want to do at night. No. I shoot him out of camp and thought, okay, I don't want to see a bear at night, but that wasn't bad. Got back in the tent, told Hot Buns about it. About 40 minutes later, clicking of trekking poles, hey bear, hey bear. He got into camp and was doing push-ups or jumping on the bear box. Yeah, we would hear bang, 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 bang on the on the bear box. He was trying to get our food inside of it. I'm sure he could smell it all. Sure enough, we shoot him out of camp again. And about 45 minutes later, <laughs> it is a uh, rinse and repeat. Yes. He is bouncing, bouncing on over. the bear box. And we shoot him out. This time I decided not to get in my tent and just kind of sit by my tent for a while. He crashed back into our camp, started smelling the tents because he knew we couldn't get our food. Um, and so be it. We shooed him out of our camp from 9.30 p.m. until 3.30 a.m. was the last I heard of him. A sleepless, restless night and a, a lot of uh, adrenaline, just to be honest, to see yeah. that a bear that big and those eyes about every 45 minutes for that many hours. In the dark, put us yeah, in yeah. We're very happy to hear the birds singing in the morning, let's just tell you that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, poor no worries, he didn't get much sleep, so he was kind of a... Uh, it was a rough day. It was a rough day, so yeah, poor guy. <laughs> so that was uh, that was our bad bear encounter. And it wasn't too bad, but it, we don't want to go through that again. But the Grayson Highlands I, uh, are known for... Yeah. Having a lot of the park is fixing it. They put the boxes out and, uh, you know, we had our food in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, uh, had both a good and a a bad bear encounter. And, uh, the other two encounters we had were both good. Um, and one just recently, but, um, I hope that, uh, that you liked our story time about the good and, and bad bear encounters that we've experienced here on the AT. Um, we are actually currently getting ready to hike out of uh, Daleville, Virginia tomorrow. I'm not too excited to leave as we're going to be walking in the rain for the next week if the weather forecast doesn't change, but they say embrace the suck and that's what we plan to do. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, guys, just remember to always get out there and live the adventure. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi y'all, Moron here. Uh, recently, uh, well let me set the table. Um, it's uh, 8.35 p.m. Wednesday, May 29th. And uh, two days ago on the 27th, um, two of my compatriots, Forrest and Pooh Bear, joined me, or together I should say, we all decided to do the four state challenge. And uh, it was successful. Uh, took us 17 and a half hours to go 45 miles. And uh, it was insane. It was the craziest day we've had, and um, I can't even say it like got off without a hitch because we kind of fucking uh, just bullshit all day. Uh, got the work done, but it was just very, very epic. Um, we started, we stealth camped the three of us in one tent on a hot, hot night uh, right at the Virginia, West Virginia border. Got up at 6 a.m., which is already a pretty late start for a 45 mile day. 
headed out. Um, luckily for me, my Sawyer bag had broken the day before, so I had to like get some other kind of vessel that I could use in order to have more water capacity for the day. So we had to walk to a 7-Eleven that was 1.2 miles off trail once we got to Harper's Ferry. Uh, which obviously killed a lot of time. There was a guy there who was nice enough to give us a ride back, which helped us out, but we were already starting at a deficit. I don't really think we hit the trail proper until like close to eight. And from there, you know, it was kind of on and off business. Like we would hike for a good couple hours at a really good steady pace, like three, like the low to mid three mile an hour range. Um, there was some trail magic at uh, one shelter, don't recall the name of it, where we met a guy named Wolf, uh, shout out to Wolf, and uh, so we were able to get some beers there, which, you know, in, in the middle of a <laughs> of a 45-mile day, nothing helps you more than a beer. Um, and so we pressed on after that. Uh, then, let me think, where did we get to next? Ah, oh, there was a campground that Wolf had told us about, and there were showers there, and... Um, Pooh Bear and Forrest both took a shower, which was funny. It was very quick, and uh, I felt Forrest at least deserved it, um, since she had had to wait for Pooh Bear and I to walk all the way to 7-Eleven. She just kind of posted up at the ATC while we did that errand, and um, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of, like, serious effort punctuated by breaks that were probably a little longer than they should have been, and a bit less necessary than they were. But uh, the whole night kind of culminated with us getting really, really delirious, uh, very punch drunk. Um, this boulder field right before Penmar Road was absolutely insane, and we did it in the dark. It was like 10.30 at night, um, but we successfully got to the road uh, once we finally got into Pennsylvania, which was really, really like a good feeling. Uh, by this point, I had pretty much just wanted to, uh, oh god damn it, I just stepped in a rock, got me all wet. Uh, I was pretty much, uh, set on the fact that we were gonna get a hotel that night. Like, I was not going to accept us going and camping. Like, I wanted beer, I wanted food, I wanted to be able to take a shower. We all had various injuries, like, Pooh Bear was chafing crotchularly pretty badly, um, Forrest had a really bad rash on her back from her backpack, um, and my heels were starting to get rubbed raw from my somewhat new Solomon shoes. So we were all getting pretty fucked up by the end of the day. And I just was like, we've got to get to a hotel. And so once we finally got to Pinmar Road, we walked 1.9 miles further down the road to stay at this hotel. Um, I don't really recall the name of it, but if you, it's the closest hotel to Pinmar Road. And man, it was so glorious. We went to this gas station, sheets, bought beer, had some warm food, which I wasn't really expecting to be able to get uh, at like 12 at night. Uh, we hung out there for a bit, and then we walked the rest of the way to the hotel, checked in, got showers, drank beer. Oh, it was such a glorious, glorious feeling. And so now I want to turn it over to the two who joined me. Um, and get sort of their takes on it, just because, you know, this was like, this was something I couldn't have done by myself. This is something I wouldn't have wanted to do by myself, and it might have really just, like, destroyed me if I had attempted. Um, it destroyed me anyway, but at least I have two other people now who will forever share this memory, and here they are. Nah, since I wasn't part of it. 
Pooh Bear and Forrest here with me now. Uh, just wanted to get a quick take from each of you to kind of wrap up this uh, this clip. What, what did you guys think about the whole thing? Uh, well, I mean, it was easily one of the more challenging things that I think I've ever done, you know, mentally and physically. Uh, it was intimidating, honestly, starting out. 40 miles is crazy in four states, but I'm glad it's over. But I'm glad we did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, sure. for sure. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of weird because, like, you're, you're thinking about it the whole time before you actually get there. Like, it was something that I wanted to do before I even started the trail. Mm-hmm. And then the day before, it was like, holy crap, it's here now. <laughs> and then we did it, and now it's like, wow, I actually finished. Yeah, it is pretty cool. It's crazy to think that we actually successfully did it, especially yeah. the end was so fucked up. Bragging <laughs> rights for the rest you of the trail. So yeah. amazing. We got Stretchman <laughs> here, the color commentary. Uh, <laughs> If you guys want to check it out to Strava, uh, Brett Luce, uh, L-U-C-E, on Strava, you can find the route, and me too as well, Kenneth Pereiro. Um, you can see our 16 or 17.15 hours uh, attempt that we met a guy recently, Troy Allen, shouts out to Tortuga for the new FKT of that southbound. Eight and a half hours. Eight and a half hours. Unsupported. Unsupported. Yeah, he was literally running. And we were not. We were drinking beers, taking showers, and uh, eating honey buns, I guess, from 7-Eleven. A very luxurious four-state challenge. Yeah, it really was. That's kind of been the order of the day recently. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys... I'm glad we did it together. I don't think we could have done it without each other. No way. Hell yeah. Yeah. And uh, to conclude things, Stretchman. If you were there, we would have done it in half the time. <laughs> you got those long legs. I have the long legs, and I'm, you know, as the leader of the group, I think I would have, you know, really been able to motivate everyone and just make sure we all get it done. Yeah. Um, Do and just have, keep morale up, you know. Yeah. Do you we have know. any, yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you, but. No, no. Uh, what were you going to ask? I was just going to say, is there anything, like, any inspirational words that you can leave us with? Just. Oh, sure. So there's this great quote by Henry Ford, and it's, it's uh, fear is just, um, Weakness leaving the body. No, that's not the quote. It's uh, something. Something uh, uh, taking ascendancy. Yeah, when the, the body, body taking ascendancy over the soul, and I right. found that to be so true. When I was doing the four-state challenge for the FKT, uh, <laughs> I confronted my fears, and I was able to do it in six and a half hours. Wow. Unsupported. So. No, no food, no water, right? No, I didn't have a single drip uh, of water all day. It's amazing. You're amazing. Uh, and with that, um, we're here. I don't. What's the name of this shelter? Does anyone remember? Birch Creek. Birch Creek. Uh, we're going to hit the midway point tomorrow. So we got two chuckleheads over here going to try the uh, half gallon challenge. Going to be barfing all down the trail. So when you guys see rainbow vomit, you know who to thank for that. So from mile, what is this? One thousand seven. Oh yeah, one thousand ninety something. Uh, this is Moron Pooh Bear Forest and. The Fearless Leader Stretchman signing out. Bye, y'all. Keep it real. Bye. Hello there, all the wonderful Trail Correspondence listeners. This is Dash. And I am at the Big Meadows Lodge in Shenandoah National Park. That's about mile 926. 
and I am going to tell you a couple of stories from my time on the trail that reflect the positive nature of my interactions with other hikers, and I hope that uh, you enjoy them. So first, I want to tell you about a wonderful hiker who helped me out. It was the third night on the trail, and I was in a camping area, not at a shelter. So the dreaded bear hang was something I needed to face that night. And I say dreaded because I had practiced um, at home and was fairly mm, mediocre at getting my line over tree branches. And so I was really not looking forward to this first attempt um, on the trail. So several people gathered to watch my attempts at getting my line over the branch. And with miss after miss, complete with a massively tangled line after each missed throw, I finally, just to put me and everyone else out of our collective misery, asked a fellow hiker for assistance. He was so willing and offered to make the next throw. And of course, he was successful on his first attempt. So thank you, Chris. Um, I don't know what your trail name is now, but um, he just came along at the right time and I was so frustrated and he was so willing to help. That's just the perfect example of what happens on trail. My second story was well into my hike, and it was after a really long day on the trail, and I arrived at a shelter. I looked for a good place to hang my hammock, and then came back over to the shelter to chat with the other hikers, and one of them started quizzing me on my pack and how much it weighed and how much individual pieces of gear weighed. And I was just, you know, generally describing things. He asked me about my food bag and I said, well, it's a little bit light right now because for some reason I shorted myself a little on snacks. Don't know why I did that, but in general, I gave him an estimate of what I thought my food weighed and we ended the discussion and that was it. But within probably an hour, everyone that was at the shelter and overheard that conversation came up to me at some point and offered me food. I was blown away. I did not expect anyone to give me food. I was just totally taken aback by the generosity of everyone there. It was such a casual mention that I had shorted myself, but everyone picked up on it and everyone came to me and offered me food. So those two stories are 
good illustrations, I think, of what happens on the trail. And I appreciate um, everyone that has been supportive throughout my hike. And that's uh, the best, really the best thing about the trail. Once again, everyone says that the personal human interactions is what's so valuable. And I totally agree. So this is Dash signing off. And I want everyone to please live your Dash. Bye. It's Sarah Herman. I am recording from Bend, Oregon. Um, My partner Jess and I flipped up to Portland um, and we're going south. Um, We have done just over 800 miles in total now. Um, And today is story time and the story I'm going to tell comes from within the first two weeks on trail. Setting the scene, it was the most beautiful day so far, the day to get into Warner Springs. Um, For all of you PCT hikers out there, um, you'll know how absolutely beautiful that day is. Um, The sun was shining, we were going through meadows, and the walk was so easy. Um, We got to see Eagle Rock, um, and it was a big highlight scenery-wise of the trip, and still one of my favorite days. So the story comes in the beginning part of the day. Jess and I were just going through the first meadow that you pass. We had relaxed, we'd hung out and spent about 20 to 25 minutes there, taking pictures and just soaking it in. Um, We were just about to leave the meadow. Jess was walking out of the meadow up the trail. Um, The trail goes up a little hill there. You have a forest area that you enter um, just for about five minutes before you drop down into the second meadow. Um, And so Jess was on her way up that little hill to go into the forest area. And I was following maybe 20 to 30 feet behind. There was no one else in the meadow with us. Um, And I hear faint footsteps behind me. And I don't think much of it because I assume it's just another hiker coming up. Um, But the footsteps are getting louder and louder. And so I start to turn around. And as I turn, I'm engulfed in a stampede of cows absolutely just terrifying. Um, There were probably 20 to 30 cows sprinting past me. Um, I turn and scream at Jess and ask her what what I'm supposed to do here. Um, And she's just cracking up laughing um, up on this hill. And I start running with my bag on, trying to run down the trail. to get away from these cows. And as I'm running, they are running after me. 
and I have no idea what's going on. Um, I get up the hill with Jess and we turn around and see all of these cows that have just, we assume had been released from, you know, wherever their, their pens are. And they were just running to eat this tree, which was on the other side of where I was standing. So they kind of came around the corner and stopped all around this tree and were just standing there eating it. And there were between 20 and 30 cows. I was trying to recover from almost dying. Um, It was, you know... It was a very scary experience for me. Um, Jess still recalls it as being one of her best memories on trail. One of the funniest things that's happened. Um, but I now have to warn people, you know, that are maybe a little bit afraid of hiking the PCT, that it's not snakes, it's not snow, it's not river crossings, it's not heat, it's not temperature-related Um, not mountain lions or bears, but it's cows that are going to get you out here. Um, so you always got to be prepared and be on the lookout. Um, but no, it was a great day. It's one of the most memorable experiences from trail and I know will stay with me for forever. Um, but to all of you in that area, watch out um, because they're out there and I did hear stories about a couple of cows charging at other hikers who had to like use their trekking poles to like make noise and stop them because they were pretty aggressive so I rest my case it was a dangerous experience I could have lost my life Um, (laughs) but it makes for a great story Um, So again, it's Sarah Herman um, coming at you from Bend, Oregon. Howdy, trail correspondents. This is Zach Mansell, and I'm checking in just outside of Casa de Luna. I don't know what mile that is, somewhere in the 500s. Um, But the reason that I'm back here is because after going into the Sierra, uh, I got really bad sunburn on the backs of my legs, um, which then, you know, that compounded with uh, some glissading in which you slide down the side of a snowy mountain. Uh, That friction caused some pretty gigantic blisters on the backs of my legs. Um, You know, like the size of water balloons. Um, So, yeah, the reason I'm back here is because uh, my trail family wanted to get back on trail immediately, and I couldn't go back into the Sierra with open sores on the backs of my legs, you know, due to the remoteness of that area um, and the risk of infection. So I took a couple days off to heal, and I went back to the desert to do 100 miles from Casa de Luna to Tehachapi that I missed. Um, So I'm out here hiking right now, and then after I'm done with this section, I will catch a bus and go to Mammoth um, and resume hiking the Sierra with my trail family. It's going to work out great. And uh, we added a new member to our group, 
by the name of Vitaman. So it's myself, Alex, Paul, and Vitaman. And I'm kind of missing them right now. Just out here hiking alone. But uh, today's episode uh, is about storytelling. So I figured I'd tell you a story that happened to me about a week ago that includes those boys. Uh, it was pretty earth-shattering and pretty traumatic, not gonna lie. Uh, so we got into the Sierra. Uh, everything was going fine. We had practice, you know, hiking in snow up north. And uh, we are doing some river crossings, which uh, were pretty scary. But Andrew Skirka, I think a week before we went in, released an Excel spreadsheet on, you know, which way to go on each river uh, if it's too sketchy to pass at the trail. Uh, and that had worked out really well for us. Um, but the biggest scare that we actually got out there was during our summit of Mount Whitney, which for those of you who do not know, it's not on the Pacific Crest Trail. It's a side trip that you take to summit the highest peak in the 48 states, so the contiguous U.S. Uh, and this time of year, with all the snow that's still on the mountain, uh, and actually I think any time of year that you're going to summit it, uh, people tend to try to summit it for sunrise due to the sheer you know, beauty of it and the fact that you'll be the first people on the west coast to see the sunrise from that height. Uh, and we happened to hit it on a perfectly clear day, thank God, <coughs> with, um, with, you know, clear visibility, uh, warm weather, and no winter storms. So we left camp. We were about four miles away uh, from, let's call it the base of the trail, uh, where it begins to start getting really elevated. So uh, typically after those four miles, you would start hitting switchbacks, which are just trails that traverse left and right up the mountain to ease the elevation gain. Um, but when we got there, we had kind of assumed, and we were correct, that those uh, switchbacks were frozen over. So there was no way to, tra to traverse them, unfortunately. So four miles into the hike, uh, we started basically climbing straight up 30 degree walls of ice and snow. Uh, and when that became too difficult, uh, we also started traversing up really loose packed rock that lines the mountain. Um, and as a PCT hiker, you don't know this because you only follow PCT hikers, unfortunately, but anyone that's, you know, mountaineering that specific mountain on a different route uh, is wearing a helmet, which is a really smart move because that loose rock is extremely dangerous when when you're climbing up it, and really you shouldn't be climbing up it. Uh, but I think everyone that is attempting uh, and succeeding uh, climbing Mount Whitney right now is going on both ice, snow, and rock. Uh, and that's where the trail got really dangerous. So we left camp at one o'clock, and by 3 a.m., if I had to guess, we were, you know, uh, maybe a quarter of a way up those switchbacks. Um, and we were perched on a rocky area and 
myself, Paul, Alex, and Vitaman were talking and we were like, oh man, this is too sketchy. There's, you know, a whole group of hikers below us uh, and uh, we're doing a good job, but at any second you could kick a rock uh, and it could come careening down the mountain and injure or likely kill another hiker below us. So having that conversation, we decided the smartest move would be to get back onto the ice and snow. Just at that moment, I'm kind of tearing up just thinking about it, uh, um, we heard what sounded like an avalanche. Um, you know, a giant, loud sound of terror coming from above us on the mountain. Very end-of-the-world apocalyptic. So we all look up, don't see anything for the first five seconds, and then... And then you start seeing spikes, it's not spikes, sparks. And then once it became, you know, much closer, we saw a boulder the size of a minivan or an SUV careening down the mountain straight towards us and just sparking and flaming, swear to God flaming, due to the friction of it crashing and crushing and smashing through rock on its way down. It was the most impending feeling of doom I've ever encountered in my life. That moment, I thought about what I was doing out there and realized that this could be the tragic moment of not only my death, but the deaths of uh, one or all of the people hiking with me, Paul, Alex, and Vitaman. So that all happened in, you know, five seconds time. <laughs> and because we were on a straight vertical section nearly, uh, Alex was able to kind of run to the right a little bit, maybe five feet. Uh, Paul didn't even look up, apparently. He just heard the sound, embraced. Me and Vitamin were fixated on the rolling boulder <laughs> nearing towards us, and neither of us could really move. Uh, and luckily... It passed us by about 30 feet, if I had to guess. And this thing was a mammoth of a boulder. Um, and it kept going. And that's where it hit me. Because after that, five seconds, when it finally passed us, it was another 10 to 15 seconds of it careening down the mountain all the way to the bottom. And like I said, there were seven or so hikers that we had passed in the morning that we knew were behind us. Uh, we didn't know if they were directly behind us, to the left, to the right, but we knew that they were in the path of the boulder um, to some extent. And it was an awful moment realizing that this mammoth-sized rock of doom cascading down the mountain uh, would potentially end in fatal uh, results to my fellow hikers who I'd met, you know, the day, day before, uh, below me. So it took about, like I said, 15 seconds for it to hit the bottom. I think during that whole 15 seconds, I was screaming at the top of my lungs uh, the word rock over and over again so that people below me had some idea of what was happening. Um, and once it hit the ground, we immediately started yelling to one another, like, is everyone all right? And we got responses up the mountain. And last but not least, we got 
responses from down the mountain as well. Uh, but there was still, like, there was definitely a part of me that, you know, even though I'd gotten confirmation everyone I'd seen was all right, I didn't know what triggered the boulder above, if there was a lone hiker standing on it, and I didn't know, you know, potentially if there was a lone hiker below that might have been uh, crushed uh, in the falling of the boulder. At that time, I think Alex or Paul or someone was like, all right, let's keep moving. And I said, can we just, can we just take five minutes to just sit with what happened for a second as the moment replayed and replayed over in my head? And so we took that five minutes and we talked again and we said, okay, let's stick to the plan. At this time, we definitely have to stick with the ice now, not be walking on this rock uh, because, you know, we had foresight into what was possible, but we didn't think anything of that magnitude was possible. Um, but, you know, we, we had some foresight and we were confirmed that we should stick to the snow and ice on the rest of the way up. We had maybe contemplated going down or staying put for a little bit, but what we had come up was too rocky, too icy, uh, and we realized that we, we wouldn't be turning back at that time, that we were going to summit. Not that it was a case of pride, but at the time, I still believe it was the safer decision to keep going up. So we kept going up, and uh, we didn't make it by sunrise, all things considered, but we did summit around 7 to 7.30, uh, me being the last to get to the top of the mountain. And it was sheer brilliance up there. It was beautiful. Uh, but at the same time, I think for that day into the night, into the next you know, 24 hours, my mind was kind of stuck on a loop of that one 20-second moment in which uh, I felt very, very near to death. Um, and I took out, I, we had gotten up at one o'clock. I don't think I, I fell asleep until 10 or 11 PM that night, which was kind of crazy. I was up for a really long time doing something really exhausting, but there's a lot to process after that moment. Um, and actually that night I had, I was kind of considering leaving the Sierra after that section uh, due to the narrow escape from death. Uh, but I decided I'd see how the next two days went. And I also told myself that I shouldn't tell my hiking partners because I didn't want them to treat me any differently. It's just something that I had to decide, uh, which is true at the end of the day. But I ended up bringing it up with them the next day because I thought it would be really messed up to get to town and then tell them that I had had these thoughts. And then the next two days were some of the craziest, most exciting highs and lows of my entire lifetime. Summiting uh, Forester Pass was icy and snowy and sketchy, and it was a breeze compared to doing Whitney, honestly. And the river crossings were, you know, rather easy too, and we took the time to go upstream and, you know, find the best, safest route. But... Yeah, I had decided by the end of it not to skip this section quite yet, but know that I'm flexible. Uh, 
But anyways, I got burns and blisters on the last two days of that hike uh, that took me off trail. So here I am, you know, completing a section of the desert that I had missed out on. Um, and then I'll be rejoining the fellows at Mammoth in the Sierra uh, in about six days' time. Anyways, yeah, sorry for the heavy story, but it's been weighing on me pretty greatly, uh, and it helps to get it off my chest. Um, so thank you for listening, and I will catch you further on down the trail. Thank you. This is Flamethrower for Trail Correspondence, and we are on day 93 of this thru-hike of the PCT, and with me today is... Crazy Burrito. And you've met her at, on the uh, Groups on Trail episode, and we've been hiking together the Sierra um, for the last month, yeah. almost. And so we have a story for you. <laughs> this is one of the stories that is really going to stand out, I think, when we look back on this through hike a long time. Yeah. And so... And I hope my mom will never find out. <laughs> <laughs> so, shh, just between us, okay? So, Crazy Burrito, um, let's start with this story. Where would you like to begin? Well, we it all started at us um, wanting to summiting the Mount Whitney. <laughs> So we took a day off trail, uh, went there, and it was a really tricky climb, but we, we managed to get up there. And uh, if you don't know, Mount Whitney is like over 14,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So it's a really, it's the highest mountain in the... the yeah, the lower 48. Yeah. So, and after that, I started to have a really bad toothache, which affected my ability to eat and drink because my teeth were just so sensitive to cold and heat and I couldn't even drink water. I couldn't even breathe when we were trying to summit Forrester Pass. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to like have a hand warmer close to my face just to be able to do it. Now, why do you think that your, your teeth started to hurt? Um, at that point, I didn't know. But after talking to doctors and dentists, I found out that there's this phenomenal where if you have like small air pockets beneath your teeth, and I had braces when I was younger, so my front teeth in the lower mouth has been moved around for like a lot. Uh -huh. So it's not uncommon that I have air pockets beneath my teeth. Yeah. And when you go up in really high altitude, mm -hmm. the the pressure from the atmosphere gets uh, lower, so that means the air expands. And the doctors think that the air expanded after summiting yeah. Mount Whitney and Forrester Pass, that it expanded so much that it actually made some nerve damage. Oh, okay. So that, so Mount Whitney was on a Sunday. Yeah. And then we hiked for a day um, and then we uh, went over Forester Pass on yeah. a Tuesday. So what happened on after that Tuesday? The Monday uh, before the Tuesday in the evening, I, I started not being able to eat. We, we did Forester Pass 
and when we got to camp Tuesday night, I was feeling really bad. I, I think actually I was crying myself to sleep. I was so in so much pain. And also mentioning that I was taking a lot of painkillers mm -hmm. just to get through the days. And it was more than you should eat, right. especially on an empty stomach. So I was feeling really bad that Tuesday night. And I think the Wednesday morning, the Wednesday we were supposed to hike into Bishop. From right. So we were going to exit Kearsarge, yeah. your Kearsarge Pass, and then go into Bishop. Yeah. And in that, that morning, I felt really bad. And... Yeah, flamethrower as my witness. I, I could barely hike like 10 steps. Then I had to stop and could barely catch my breath. And it was really miserable. And then we tried to make some hot chocolate. Yes. So I at least had some sugar to keep, keep me going and get mm -hmm. me over that pass to get me into town. But I couldn't keep it in me. I was getting so sick. I was throwing up and oh, it was terrible. In the end, we we decided that there was nothing to do. I couldn't get out myself, so mm, we right. had to press a flame flame for us um, in reach. Right, we we did make yeah. that SOS call. We did an SOS call. So uh, I was so grateful to have Flame for to help me out with this because she was like, you know, communicating with the rangers and doctors, and they were trying to make a plan of how to get me out and it ended up with me being airlifted out in a, in a helicopter in a dramatic rescue <laughs> dramatic rescue and oh my god it was the weirdest day of my life uh, I, we, I ended up on the west side of the Sierra instead of actually going to on the east side where we were going like Bishop or Lone Pine or something I ended up in Vis Visalia. Um, I was. They flew me to a ranger station on the west side of the Sierra, and I was picked up by an ambulance. And they gave me a liquid in a what do you call it, drop? An um, IV. Yeah, an IV. And I was sitting in the hospital for like six hours, wow. <laughs> just getting more and more like hydrated because I was really dehydrated. And they told me about this. Uh, thing with my teeth and it could be that they also gave me antibiotics and then it ended up with me getting help from trail angels to get back because the bus system was just was terrible up, yeah. but after a few days at a trail angels house i ended back up in bishop <laughs> with some antibiotics Strong painkillers, and after a few days, we were back on trail again. Yes, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, when that chopper took off, I was left by Bullfrog Lake, and being later in the day, I decided it was it was too slushy to go through Kearsarge, so I ended up camping just below the path and then making it across the next morning. So I was really 10 days out uh, as a, instead of nine, and uh, got quickly a hitch into Bishop and waited for Crazy Burrito to arrive. And, uh, you know, to her credit, she bravely wanted to go right back into the Sierra. And so uh, the story has a happy ending. We've both made it uh, so far to Mammoth as of this recording. And we are getting ready to go back in and continue our through hike. Yeah. So that's our story time for today. <laughs> and we will catch you next time on Trail Correspondence. Thank you.
Hello everyone, this is Karthikeya Nadanla. Today I'm in Bernie, so sitting in a church right next to Sombrero and we're here to talk about a story, a story that happened to us on the trail. So three weeks back, I was contacted by a trail angel, Nancy, the Limited Situation Trail Magic, and then they asked me to wait for them to meet out so I could, that they could provide me some food for my birthday so I did and then that's when I actually ran into Sombrero where we have been hiking together for a while and then he kind of was got back to me a couple days and then we met there and then we started hiking together from there again and that night we hiked 14 miles after eating delicious food uh, we went to the camp we were pretty tired with big bellies and everything and we decided to go back to sleep right away but one of our friends in the gang actually heard someone yelling help for a couple times but we thought it was a joke because we heard gunfires happening that afternoon along the trail and we thought someone was just playing along but apparently it wasn't a joke there was a guy who was lost on the trail for a couple days he's been yelling sitting on a cliff hoping that someone would come and help him out so looks like he was actually underprepared for the hike decided to hike the PCT for a week with his family and he was lost on, on some rocks or something and then he was just sat there hoping to be rescued so there was actually a rescue operation going on for him and then when we went to the camp we heard the screams and then we yelled back we kind of had a communication there so we asked him to flash his torchlight which he did so we can figure out where he was sitting on the cliff we kind of gauge the direction we need to go got down the valley and then did the rescue so we divided into two groups me and a team and sombrero and another team but my team we actually went way past his point so we were kind of lost too and we couldn't find him but sombrero's team was a team who actually found the guy and brought him back to the camp and we later handed him over to the police so sombrero so how was your experience when you guys actually ran into him how was it looking was he shocked crying what uh, happened um so about half an hour 40 minutes bushwhacking and rock scrambling we found him standing on a big rock um when we found him, he was all shaken, sweating, and actually almost crying. He, he saw the tears in his eyes, how happy he was that he found some people after, I think he was lost for two days. Uh, yeah. He still had some food and there was water everywhere, so he was not so he wasn't in starving. that big danger, but still, um, he was very happy to see us. Uh, because no- totally shaking, so it was like, we were also very surprised when we found him in that situation. He's, he was unprepared for hiking on this trail in this area with his boots like totally ruined, uh, taped around with laces and duct tape. So um, after like 10 minutes, calming him down and said he was okay. And we decided to take him back to our camp. So we took his backpack and I went ahead uh, with a flashlight, with a headlight, um, looking for the, the way to go back because we were... Uh, our campsite was on a on a ridge much higher than where, where he was standing. So how far was he from our campsite? Because we went way past him. Yeah, I think about, according to my feeling, about a mile, I think. Okay. Yeah, because when we were screaming to him, we were almost, it was very hard to, to hear his voice and what he was saying. But yeah, we could hear that he is saying that he was lost for two days. Mm-hmm. So we just decided... Uh, even though we were really tired and hungry and wanted to make some dinner, we decided to, yeah, so to there was a team and to go to search him. I'm sorry, there was no cell phone service and he wasn't carrying any GPS with no, him. No. He has no spot, or like no way to start a fire. No. 
So what was he thinking? Yeah, uh, he was he, he was hiking a small section of the PCT with his friends and his sister, and because he was not the fittest of the group, he took a break and he said to the to the rest of his group, "I will see you at campsite this evening." But this area, the PCT goes over all these big rocks, and it's very easy to 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 lose, lose the, the trail. trail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he just get lost and was sitting there. Yeah. It was hopeless. Yeah, he was looking for two days where the trail was or for other people, but didn't find... Well, he found us, we found him, and we took him back to our campsite. Yeah. That was a, that was an interesting story because after these guys brought him to the camp, we were still, still kept looking for him, and then we yelled back, hoping that these guys would have found him, but it took an hour for us extra to return to the camp and it was pitch black when we got there, and then, then he was really calmed down. Yeah. He was smoking his cigarettes. Yeah, we made a fire and gave he him was, some food, yeah. Yeah, gave him some food, got him warm, and yeah. he was actually very happy. And next day morning, we handed him over to the police, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were they were looking for him for that day with helicopters, but they didn't found him. And they were planning to send out a big rescue team the next morning uh, to search ser- search for him. Yeah, but that was not necessary because we were able we, to contact the sheriff and yeah. So the sheriff picked him up the next morning. Yeah, yeah. that was a that was a very good thing that happened to us yeah. because we can't underestimate the trail anytime no matter where we are it's easy to get lost out here yeah. and not carrying any gps or not having any cell phone or gut hooks or maps or compass not knowing where you are not being trailed it's easy to get lost it's yeah. so easy that's yeah. what i learned from that so yeah. you should never overestimate ourselves or underestimate the trail yeah and the mobile phone works really well with the app gut hooks but better to always take compass and a map, map, yeah, especially yeah. in this area and the Sierras, yeah. Yeah, totally. Sierras was a was a deal breaker. Yeah. So yeah, so we returned him to the police and everything went well, and the guy was guy was back with his family safely. But that made me think, you know, if had we not found him and had the search and rescue not found him, he would have been like one of those posters we see out in every town. Yeah. Like we've yeah. been missing. We've been so many yeah. people out here have been missing and never yeah. been found, which is crazy when I think about it. Yeah. So, yeah, and we can't actually sleep that night knowing that someone out there needed help. Yeah. And he was not so far away from us. So, no. so we had to go. And yeah, that was like the most humanitarian thing we could ever do on the trail. Because the trail provides us so much. And yeah, it was it was a good good thing. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much the story that I would like to share with everyone. And thank you, Sombrero. Welcome. That was thank awesome. You. Awesome hiking with you. And this is Kartke and Adenla signing off from Bernie. Thank you. Backpacker Radio. This is Ark. Um, I am talking to you from the PCT. Um, I am in the Goat Rocks, uh, Goat Rocks Wilderness, which is um, in Washington. Uh, I think it's like mile 2,230, something like that. Um, so as I said the last time, we, me and my hiking partner, Big Mama, decided to flip um, to Washington to avoid the Sierra, and now we're heading southbound. So far, that's been a good decision. We've definitely hit some snow. Um, but it's been, you know, the, the majority of the trail has been clear. So um, we're happy with that choice. So today I'm going to tell you guys some stories. Um, sorry if I'm breathing hard, I'm hiking. Uh, but I want to preface it with letting you know that um, I'm not really funny. So I'm funny when I try not to be funny. But when I try to be funny or like tell a funny story, it's just, I can take like the most funny thing that ever happens. And when I retell it, it's not funny. So um, just be aware of that. Um, so 
I guess the first thing that I want to talk about um, is actually something that happened. Um, it was back in the desert. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it was, but I was with my trail family and it had been raining all morning. It had been like thunderstorming. So we sort of hunkered down in our tents and decided that we wouldn't hike out till the thunderstorms had stopped, which meant we didn't really start hiking till noon. Well, at that time, and still actually, um, I was the slowest hiker of my tramley. I just, I just don't walk that fast. So I knew that in order to, we were going to do like 17 miles after, um, after, you know, around noon after we left camp in order to, um, make it to camp before dark, I need to sleep before them. So I leave before them. There's this climb. It's still raining. It's like really foggy. We're, we're climbing, we're climbing up into fog. You can't see anything. It's, it's pretty miserable. Um, everybody passes me at some point during the day, which is normal. Um, but it started to get dark. So it gets dark and I personally don't like night hiking and I'm behind everyone else. I don't know how far, you know, um, I don't know how far the next person is in front of me. And there's this descent that I need to do. I have like two miles to go to get to where we had agreed to camp. And my morale is just as low as it can possibly be. Um, I was having trouble seeing. My glasses were all fogged up. I had my headlamp on. Um, I was just miserable. So I start descending these switchbacks. And all of a sudden, I hear people yelling. And I hear people yelling, "Arg! yay. And I'm still two miles from camp. So I'm like, okay, I'm hallucinating. Um, and the yelling continued. And as I got closer to camp, I realized that it was my tramley that they could see my headlamp and they were cheering for me and encouraging me, um, to finish the last two miles into camp. And it was like the most overwhelming feeling of love and support. Um, I probably ever had on trail. They, you know, I'd only known, I'd only known these people for like two weeks and, um, you know, here they were genuinely happy that I had made it and that I was safe. Um, it was just, it was a great feeling. So that was really cool. Um, another cool story that I have, um, is this is, it's kind of a funny, it's, it's a funny story. You know, when you're on trail, you're eventually going to have some sort of bathroom incident. And we like to talk about that on backpacker radio podcast. So I'll talk about it now. Um, one of my family members, I won't use her name because I don't want to embarrass her. Um, we were going to camp and, um, we're going to camp in this patch kind of off to the side of the trail. And there was like this rope that you had to climb over. I don't, I don't really know why it wasn't like private property or anything. So we're, we're all climbing over the rope and this girl, she falls, um, like trips over the rope and like, like wipes out and is on the ground. Like she looks like a turtle. Like she's looks like a turtle on, um, you know, on her back, on her shell. And we knew she wasn't hurt. Like you could tell by the way she fell that she wasn't hurt. So we all start laughing. Well, then she starts laughing and she ends up peeing her pants. So then she starts laughing even harder and like crying. Um, and we start laughing harder. And so this poor girl had to, (laughs) had to hike into town, um, you know, in her piece, you know, Pea-smelling hiker shorts, because what else are you going to do? Um, <laughs> my story about a bathroom problem is um, one day I was, I had to have what we call a business meeting in my tramley, which means had to go poop. So I leave the trail to have a business meeting, and I climb up in these rocks, and I'm really far from the trail, so I think, you know, this is good. I, I can't see the trail, so I'm like, this is a good spot. I dig my hole. And I'm taking care of my business. And all of a sudden, I look up. And there's this lovely Czech couple who I'd met several times. We'd kind of been leapfrogging, waving at me. (laughs) There was a campsite. The the trail kind of hairpinned around, and I didn't know that. And there was a campsite, like within sight of where I was doing my business. And there, and you know, I feel like if I had seen someone pooping up in some rocks, I would have pretended that I didn't see them. I kind of would have turned my back and whatever. They were just 
cheerfully waving at me like, hey, you know, whatever. It was really embarrassing, but it was really funny. Um, I finished and went down to their campsite. I was like, I'm so sorry. And they're like, oh, it's no big deal. It happens. Um, so, you know, um, something I've noticed on the trail is that a lot of days my emotions are like, like every emotion I feel out here is like at a 10. And I'm kind of like that in my normal life. So I guess it's not that weird. But, you know, like the highs are super, super high. The lows are super, super low, and there's not very many, like, there's not really anything in between. Um, so I'm going to give you an example of one of each. Um, the low actually just happened today. Um, I was, I'm climbing up a hill. We're heading into Goat Rocks, like I said, which is awesome. And it's, like, sunny, and I'm climbing, and, um, like, it's going fine. I'm listening to, like, a podcast. And my feet are really itchy. Um, so I started thinking about the fact that my feet... Like, I I have weird skin, and I'm allergic to, like, lots of things. And then I started thinking about the fact that my nephew, Leo, who's four, um, somehow he has the same skin as me. Um, He's, like, allergic to everything. And I, like, burst into tears because I had, all of a sudden, just thinking about him, this horrible wave of homesickness and, you know, longing to see my family and my nieces and nephews. Um, So, you know, it's so weird. I'm fine now. It passed. You know, you think about you know, you, you process, I processed why I'm out here. You know, I want to, um, show them that it's okay to take mitigated risks. I want to show them that, you know, even if you're away from your family physically, um, you might even get more love and support. I have anyway, than when you're physically at home. Um, so it's important to me to finish this, but it's really hard for me to be away from them. An example of a high was I was climbing out of Chinook Pass and it was in snow, which I hate hiking in snow. I'm not very good at it. And I climbed up to the top of this saddle. I'm standing there kind of looking around. And I hear this horrendous thundering noise. And I first, my first thought was an avalanche because, like, it wasn't thunder. I knew it was too loud to be thunder. It was ear splitting. Um, so I thought it was an avalanche. Had a moment where I thought I was going to die. And then a fighter jet screamed over my head so close that I, I felt like I could physically touch it. Now, obviously, I couldn't physically touch it. But it was insanely close. It was, like, the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, maybe not ever. But it was pretty cool. So the first one passed. And then, sure enough, like, four seconds later, another one comes over me. And then about four seconds after that, another one comes over me. And I just stood there and raised my trekking poles in the air and started cheering and screamed, fuck yeah, because um, I just finished this big climb. And it was just so powerful and cool. Um, definitely... One of my favorite iconic moments on trail. So those are some of the stories that I have for you guys. Sorry, I'm not a better storyteller. It's just not my jam. Um, things are going well. And um, that's what ARC has for you um, in this episode. I hope, hope you guys are great. All right, ARC out. This is Farmer's Market. And this is Tropicana. AKA uh, Allison and Eric. The brother sister PCT team. Um, we are at mile 1419. Which is Bernie Falls State Park. We just got done looking at a waterfall. They're and now beautiful. we're sitting at the elusive picnic tables, and <laughs> which is really nice. And I'm yes. making coffee and just had a soft serve ice cream. It's 8.30 in the morning. Quality breakfast. But yeah. And it's a nice day so far. Yeah. And our yeah. flip has gone well. I think we're about 140 miles north of Belden where we flipped to, something so. like that. Yeah. Um, we didn't see anyone for the first four days, 
which was interesting. There's a lot of snow up in NorCal and a lot of mosquitoes. Yeah. But it's been fun. Yeah, the past couple days have been brutally hot though. Yeah, like 95 so and just intense, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. But today we both agreed to talk about um, a story that we had in Southern California <laughs> at Messenger Flat Campground. Yeah. Um, so the day we camped there, um, it was going pretty well. It was a nice day. Sun was out, um, just a few clouds. Um, but we were hiking along with quite a few of our friends. It was windy that day though. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so we had like six people in our group and actually one of the people, part of our trail family down there brought another guy to hike with us that day. Yeah. Just a friend for like a couple days. We met him at lunch. Yeah. We called him Melon Man because he hiked in, or brought in car, a watermelon for us, which was awesome. Yeah. It was so great. <laughs> but any, anyway, we were hiking. It was a beautiful day, but it was windy and there were some clouds building. It's one of those days where we're above LA and LA is just completely covered in clouds. Yeah. And so like we're 24 miles in, we see a good campsite. The sun's still mostly out, but it's still really windy. Really windy. And so Messenger Flat campsite is kind of on a ridge with some trees. Hold on, I got a wasp. <laughs> All right. uh, it's kind of on a ridge with some trees. So yeah. we're like, we'll be somewhat protected there. Yeah, um, yeah. So. <laughs> so we start setting up our tents and these winds are like, I don't know, Four, it's 30 mile per hour no, gusts? No, it sustained like 30, 35 sustained. to 40. Yeah. Um, with yeah. gusts like probably like 50. Yeah. Um, setting up our tents Setting up our tents, yeah. It's like <laughs> where you have to either use the buddy system to set up a tent or find like 40 rocks to somehow anchor it down. Oh, God, yeah. But, yeah. but we all like, set up our tents. Yeah, and it wasn't raining yet. <laughs> so um, we all had like a group dinner out in the wind and like the sun went down and it started getting like miserably cold. Um, and yeah. we're still up here on this ridge, not anywhere near town or anything like that. No. And no. so we all eat our dinner. Uh, our buddy that was day hiking with his friend packed in a six pack of beer. So that was awesome. That was really nice. Highlight it at night. <laughs> but we all um, went to our tents to sleep. You know, the wind is so strong. It's like pushing your fly into the tent. There's no way around it. Yeah. I had to reposition my tent just to... Uh, get better like winds yeah. over my tent instead yeah. of like it pushing against like yeah, one wall it and it blew falling all down. the wind into my tent after you did that oh no I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so like it's still not raining but around like I think it's it's like 2 a.m. 2 a.m. yeah the sideways rain started yeah. coming down pouring and uh, the temperature at that point was maybe upper 30s yeah so and by 5 a.m. All that rain's getting pushed in the tent. Yeah. 5 a.m. I like fell asleep for like 15 minutes somehow. The wind is still sustained like 30, 40. Like the pine trees were like sideways at this point. Yeah. The rain was completely sideways. I'm like, I think my sleeping bag is wet. <laughs> and the whole corner in my tent was like a puddle of rain. Yeah. So I was vaguely aware that it was going to rain. I think someone at our lunch um, like a trail angel or something stopped by and said, yeah, there's some rain coming in the next couple days. Like, okay, good to note. So like, I knew there was rain coming. Great. What are we going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew the rain was coming. And, um, when it started, I realized like, okay, this side of my tent is wet. 
there's a puddle in that corner. I'm just gonna sleep on the other side, the dry side, and I had earplugs in, so I actually slept pretty well that night, surprisingly. Yeah, surprisingly. But then I woke up at like six or seven or whatever, and was like, I gotta like get out of here. So I ran to the pit toilet to use the bathroom real quick, and there were two other, two of our other like um, buddies we've been hiking with uh, on and off were in there. Um, spider legs and bird yeah. box so like i i follow suit i get my tent i carry my tent soaking wet over with like some of my stuff inside it still after i like yell at you like i come back from the bathroom and was like i'm getting up i'll be in the pit toilet like yelling <laughs> at you waking you up <laughs> through the wind and yeah, rain yeah <laughs> um so we have like our tent soaking wet sitting outside like the little awning of the pit toilet and I run around to the rest of the group, be like, pit toilet, we're gonna meet in the pit toilet. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's sideways wind, upper 30s. You out, you're out in this like, I was out in this wind for like 30, 30 seconds and I was soaked to the bone. Soaked, like drenched, yeah. like yeah. that bone soaked, chilled, wind doesn't stop, drenched. Yeah, yeah. And so like, eventually the whole group convenes in the pit we toilet. We are all in there. There's like Our six of us in there. completely soaked through. Everything in the backpack soaked. We're soaked. soaked. Everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're just playing some music to kind of like lighten the mood and discuss yeah. what we could do because yeah. we're up on a ridge. And kind of dancing a, around to warm up too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we have a steep descent on like cold wet rocks to get mm -hmm. to like the little valley where it's probably not raining. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but eventually one by one yeah, people start uh, leaving. They're like, I'm getting out of here. Like, okay, sit yourself. Um, before long, it was just three of us, Yumi and Raven. Yeah. And uh, she somehow knew, like, she got a weather forecast. Like, rain is ending around 10 or 11 a.m. Like, okay, let's try to wait it out to, like, 10 or 11. And so everyone else left before us, and we waited it out. And finally, we worked up enough courage to leave our safety of the pit toilet yeah because like we were getting really cold standing up there just not yeah. hiking or doing anything even yeah. in the cover so we had to do something we had no choice had to leave yeah yeah um so we we set out completely soaked and we're hiking the ridge and sure enough it is like all the clouds sitting <laughs> down in la are just like blowing all this freezing rain sideways yeah. into yeah. us but as soon as we start hiking we see a glimpse of the sunshine. Yeah, some like <laughs> little pockets of blue sky start happening. Yeah, as the clouds are like quickly going over us, it's like, oh, here, there's some sunshine, embrace it for a second, and then it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and so like right at that point, something really weird happened. So like we turn around this corner, um, the rest of the group is all ahead of us, so just me and Allison at this point. And there's this guy just sitting on this rock, he's <laughs> yeah. handing out Oreos. Yeah, we're I, nowhere near town, nowhere yeah. near nothing. Yeah, and so he's like, "You guys want an Oreo?" <laughs> we're just like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yes, still, I do. I'm still not sure if that guy is I, real. Yeah, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. But that was just like the little bit of motivation I needed to get the rest of the way down the hill. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And we eventually made it, and there was a KOA campsite down yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. And so I just had two hot pockets there and I felt better. Yeah, sitting inside watching the next downpour of rain, eating hot pockets. That was that was nice. So. Yeah, it's just definitely one of those days where it's so miserable no matter what happens the next day or later that day, it's going to be better. It's yeah. 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 So that is our messenger flat 
story. Hopefully we don't have another pit toilet experience like that, but yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. And hopefully that garbage truck's not too noisy in the background. Yeah, <laughs> yeah state park here. All right. <laughs> All right. Till next time, guys. Bye. Yeah. Hey there, everybody. It's Siren, and I'm checking in from Olympia, Washington. I have been off trail for a little bit over a month. If you listen to the last podcast, then you probably already know where this is going, but I, um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on with me and what happened to me in this uh, story time episode. Um, I hiked from the Mexican border northbound to Kennedy Meadows, and then I flipped up into Washington to tag the Canadian Monument and hike south from there. Um, I decided it was best for me not to go through the Sierra when I was there. So um, I would say a few days into the into the trek south, I I got hurt. So. There's a lot <laughs> that happens when you get hurt on trail. Um, and I suppose that you can only deal with one thing at a time. And so I'll try to do that. But I was having a really hard time. Um, a lot of things changed when my group and I flipped up into Washington. Um, the group changed a little bit. Some dynamics changed a little bit. It's unavoidable. Obviously, the terrain, the weather, everything changed in that way. Uh, and we'd taken a week off to get up here. So so things were different. And um, I was struggling with something personal uh, that I couldn't get out of my head. And um, basically was experiencing the most difficult days I had experienced on trail so far. And... I didn't want to be around anybody and I was angry and irritable and I was rushing and approximately two miles north of the Rainy Pass trailhead, um, I made a couple quick poor decisions and um, instead of getting my feet wet and going safely and slowly through a stream crossing, I stepped down onto some rocks to try to keep my feet dry. I didn't have my trekking poles out. And despite questioning myself, should you get him out? I didn't, and I kept going. Uh, and, and it was an unstable rock, and so I stepped down with my right foot, and my left was planted firmly on the ground, and uh, my body went in, and I, <clears throat> I twisted my knee really badly. And I didn't know what happened at first because the water was deep enough that I was up into my, like sitting up into it to my chest, and it was freezing, and it was loud. So uh, I picked myself up, pulled myself up onto the ground, and when I stepped onto the solid ground, uh, my knee felt like it needed to pop in my left leg. Uh, so I straightened it, and it didn't pop, but it didn't feel good at all. And I had an instant, horrible <laughs> realization that I'd really hurt myself. And um, 
supported myself. I put my hands on my knees and I just stood there and I was breathing and um, slowly my group caught up and my friend chef saw me and he asked me if I was okay. And I said, no. And he said, your hand is bleeding. So I ripped my knuckle open, <clears throat> falling down, but I didn't even notice because I couldn't feel it. And uh, I happened to be walking with two nurses and a paramedic and um, my dear friend, pep talk was the paramedic and we'd been together since day one. So he instantly, um, you know, started assessing the situation and asking me questions and making sure I stayed calm and, you know, sort of did a check on me to see if I'd really, really hurt anything else and, um, took care of my hand and, uh, everybody else in my group, they were so wonderful. They started dividing the stuff out of my pack and, um, Schwing put my backpack on the front of him. So he had two packs on and they walked out and, uh, pep talk stayed with me while I walked extremely painfully and slowly. The, I think it was 1.7 miles to the trailhead. And it was the long, longest 1.7 miles I think I've ever had to walk. Um, because I had so many things running through my head and, uh, I felt like, I knew I I knew I had seriously hurt myself and that it wasn't something that was just going to go away. And so I stayed quiet and I tried to breathe and I took very small steps and oh, I don't know, Pep Talk took a picture of me walking and you could see like the compensation pattern that my body was making in order to keep my legs stable. Um, but that was a really difficult walkout, and I'm so lucky that it was only 1.7 miles. I've had friends who've been injured who've had to walk 20 miles, 40 miles, like just ungodly distances hurt. <clears throat> and luckily we, we were pretty quick to find a ride. It was within a half an hour to an hour. Um, I got a ride into Winthrop and was able to head straight to a physician and they handled me so quickly and they were so kind. And, um, at the time I was given relatively good news. I didn't get any imaging there. Uh, I just had a, you know, physical examination and, but I knew that I wasn't going to be leaving there with my trail family. So, um, it was the beginning of what I didn't realize was going to be the hardest part of this trip for me. Um, because you don't plan on getting hurt. It's always a possibility. And there have been plenty of times that I could have and probably should have gotten hurt on this trail. I trip all the time. I trip all the time. I've talked about it before. Uh, but I've also fallen a number of times in a way that I am damn lucky that I wasn't hurt. And uh, anyway, you don't want it to happen, but it did. So, um, so I had to watch them leave and that was horrible and I didn't know when I'd see them again and I didn't know what was happening with me and I I got whisked away by an amazing couple that I'd met on trail I, I believe I talked about that in a previous podcast as well um, and they hosted me for two weeks and my knee got better every day but after about a week I knew something else was wrong and it just wasn't getting any better I couldn't straighten my knee fully I could not put my weight on it fully. So I went to, I went to an orthopedic surgeon and had an MRI and 
because they were doing everything so quickly for me, there was some stuff that was missed, unfortunately. So I did eventually find out everything that was going on, but I had to sort of process information one step at a time. I thought I could self-heal. It was just going to take a long time. And then I found out that I couldn't. I had a a bucket handle tear of my uh, medial left meniscus. Uh, in addition to some other things, I you know I had really done a number on myself, but the bucket handle tear is something that cannot heal on its own. It had to be surgically removed. So I sent that information home to an ortho that I was seeing in Michigan to get a second opinion, and I started my travels to get to Olympia, where I am also being graciously hosted by... Um, by the family of one of my trail families. No, that that's too many words in one sentence. I'm being hosted by the family of one of my trail friends who I'd met when we flipped, and they're incredible. And when I was speaking to him about what I was going through and that I might need surgery, he said, have it here. Uh, so I did. Um, I was seen by an, an orthopedic surgeon in Olympia and was immediately scheduled for surgery and had it a week later, and... My leg has been getting better day by day. At this point, I had the surgery seven days ago, eight days ago, eight days ago. And immediately after the surgery, my leg was better. But it's been, like I said, a little over a month since I got off trail. And I've watched my friends complete the state of Washington. I've watched people I'm following on Instagram hit the midway point. I've watched some of them finish and it's been really challenging because my experience of getting off trail, even though I don't think I'm done, this isn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. I'm not going to through hike the Pacific crest trail this year. It's not possible. I can't, there's no time left. I don't even know if I'm going to get the green light to keep walking at all. So I've had some friends who've had to get off trail because they've been injured and I'm watching them go through the same struggle that I am. And it's interesting to see the difference in the way people see you. I have gotten an unbelievable amount of support since I've gotten hurt and I am so thankful for that. But I want nothing more than to be out there. And I guess I think it's important for people to know that it is just as valid to have hiked any of the trail than to have hiked all of it. And I went to trail days this past weekend and I got to see a lot of people that I haven't seen since the desert. (laughs) Um, It's been weeks, months, maybe, since I've seen some of them. And that sentiment, the the fact that the PCT will crawl under your skin and change you, whether you've hiked 700 miles or, you know, 2,600 miles, that it's... um, It's a unique experience that you cannot possibly understand unless you get out here and do it and that everybody's been changed by it. That was a, that was something that had been shared by pretty much everybody I talked to this past weekend. Anyway, 
I see you, <laughs> those people that have gotten hurt and had to stop walking. I so feel you and I understand where you are and don't let your your sadness or, or your anger um, get in the way of what you what you got to do while you were there. So that's what I'm trying to hold on to anyway. I'm still going to try to hike. I'm not going to push it to the point of hurting myself further. I'm going to wait until my doctor says, go for it. Um, so I've got about another week of uh, living on the farm, <laughs> trimming garlic and playing ukulele and trying to stay in shape the best I can. So that was probably a bit rambly, but I know that my journey has turned out to be a little bit different than my fellow correspondents, which to those of you that I was able to see this weekend, it was really nice to meet you. I'm glad that that finally happened. Um, this trail is incredible. And I think it's, I think it's a, an incredible achievement if you get to do the whole thing. But if you don't get to do the whole thing, it's okay. Because you did it at all. You did it at all. Not everything gets to go as planned. And I think that's maybe my biggest challenge. Maybe that's why I'm here. Anyway, hopefully when you hear from me again, I'll be walking. But if I'm not, then it wasn't meant to be. So, yeah. To all my fellow correspondents out there, walk safe. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye. What's up, Trekkers? Long time no talk. This recording is coming a little bit late. It is week 12 for me, exactly. And right now, I have to report that I am actually not on the CDT. I'm actually over in the Grand Tetons. Uh, I hitched over here with Redfish and Lumber to the Grand Tetons uh, to do the Teton Crush Trail. Uh, which is one of the stories that I'd like to talk to you all about tonight. <laughs> so after hiking the Wind River High Route, uh, we were just blown away by the gorgeous views and a little bit sad that we might not see any amazing knockout views like that until we hit Glacier National Park. And as we were hiking along the Continental Divide, uh, we couldn't help but notice uh, to our left uh, there was these amazing mountains and decided, hey, like, let's go over to those mountains. Those are the Tetons. And that's what we did. Uh, and we figured out once we got to town, uh, it was a pretty easy hitch. Once we got to town, we ended up uh, finding out that there was actually free camping 20 miles uh, into it. So um, split it up uh, into two days to 20 mile-ish days. Super relaxing, gorgeous views, um, totally worth it. Uh, longest person on trail wins, you know, and these are just some gorgeous miles that are worth the extra effort to go see. So right now, uh, we are chilling out, hanging, waiting for sunset from our campsite at the Alaskan Basin in the Grand Tetons. Being such a short day, it didn't take us very long to get here, so we've already had dinner and 
second dinner and figured I would record this podcast since it's well overdue. The next story I'd like to share with you from Trail has also been from here in Wyoming. Uh, it's actually, I came out of Rollins, Wyoming, uh, and Redfish, Lumber, and I attempted a 24-hour challenge where we would hike from midnight to 11.59 p.m. that day uh, and see how far we could get within 24 hours. So Lumber ended up uh, stopping early, stopping probably around 7, and he ended up getting 57 miles in, uh, a little bit more than that. And Redfish uh, kept going till midnight. He made it uh, 73 or 70.3 miles, which is just wild and crazy. Uh, and I ended up hiking within that 24 hours. I hiked uh, 75.9 miles. Uh, and <clears throat> after that, I had to keep hiking to be able to get to water. And I had in my mind, Redfish had talked about me going for a triple marathon, which is, uh, I believe, 78.6 miles. Uh, and I did the math, and there was a water cache uh, would make it 78.8 miles for me in 25 and a half hours. I was able to complete that. Uh, so it was pretty crazy. Uh, that was my first 24-hour challenge ever, and I didn't know what to expect uh, when I was going into it. Uh, Redfish and I first discussed the idea of doing a 70 mile day when we met each other for the first time in a town called uh, Grand Lake and what happened was uh, there in Grand Lake Colorado uh, right before um, the Rockies we were sitting at a bar talking and I told them how out of Rollins I'd love to do a uh, like a double marathon uh, and maybe on like a 24-hour challenge and see how many miles I could get. And that's when he mentioned to me that he had done a 60-something mile day when in uh, hiking on the Te Aurora. And he said that he would love to try to go for a 70-mile day. And I felt like that was an awesome idea. Um, I wasn't sure if we could pull it off. So I had never done a 24-hour challenge before. I don't know if I mentioned that. So I didn't know how I would last going nonstop like that. So I actually had four days of food with me uh, during this hike. And as you know, I'm already not ultralight. I have a speaker, which you might even be able to hear playing right now. And I have a, a onesie and a two-person freestanding tank that weighs like three pounds. So, you know, I'm not very ultralight as it is. So I had an extra four days worth of food. It was quite a lot of weight in my bag at the time um, going through the basin uh, it was amazing going through the basin uh, started off with starry skies uh, as we hiked out of town and uh, had to go with our headlamps on to be able to see uh, and have other people see us during the certain road walks and whatnot that uh, entailed coming out of town um, and then Got to enjoy a beautiful sunset. That was another huge benefit. Uh, stopped for water three times while doing the hike. Got an amazing sunset, uh, which, you know, you really don't get those sunset views as nice when you end up setting up tent uh, early, you know, five, six o'clock, 
by 7, 8 o'clock, you're laying in your tent and falling asleep, and you miss those great sunsets. So being able to see a sunrise and sunset was amazing. Uh, I finished the last hour uh, or so of the hike using my cell phone as a, uh, a flashlight, basically, to be able to see because my headlamp died. Uh, rookie noob thing where I just didn't think to charge it during the day after using it that same night. Uh, never done a 24-hour challenge before, so it was just like so many different things I picked up and learned that would increase my time while doing it. Um, I think next time I did one, I could maybe try to go for 80 miles. That would be kind of cool um, since I got really close as it was. But yeah, so... My biggest day ever prior to this was I did a, a 47.3 mile day with my friend DK and we hiked, uh, I hiked from uh, the beginning of Lassen National Park all the way to Cache 22 which was 47.3 and I had some stops at the grocery store or the store in between and just had like a chill day and everything um, but yeah to outdo that by so many more miles is pretty amazing for me um, and it took me to a different level of knowing where my limits are as far as hiking goes 78.8 miles non-stop uh, in 25 and a half hours was pretty crazy I'm pretty proud of that accomplishment so I figured I'd share that with you all looks like I'm running a little long on time so I should probably wrap this up and go outside and check out the sunset but hope all you trekkers are having a great time and i'll check in a lot sooner with my next recording and that's it for today's show in our next episode, our correspondents will share what revelations they've experienced while on trail. If you enjoy the show, please do leave us a review on iTunes, as this is a huge help in getting the word out about the show. And don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. Today's show was edited by our guy, Polly Boy Shalcross, who is also the genius behind these bodacious beats. You can keep up with the show on Instagram at Trail Correspondence, on Twitter at ThruHikerPod, and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trail Correspondence. You can follow me personally on Instagram and Twitter at ZR Davis. You can also get a hold of us via email at podcast at thetrek.co. Okay, signing off for now. Happy hiking.